Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Most boat ramps or campgrounds are always equipped with an outhouse. Heaven forbid you forgot that you had to use the bathroom before leaving the house and you have to use one of those stinky outhouses by plugging your nose to go in. My next guest takes his experience with outhouses to a new level. Welcome to the podcast, professor at the University of Iowa, Matt Nonaman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. And we had connected on TikTok because I had done a video of about, hey, tell me a fishing story. And you were the first one to respond saying, I've got one. And when we kind of were chit-chatting back and forth, I was laughing out loud so hard hearing your fishing story. And I can't wait for you to share with our listeners your fishing story today. Sure. Well, thanks for the invitation. And, you know, I do have to say, you know, TikTok is is kind of my, uh, um, you know, like entertainment in the evenings, you know, after a day's work. So I've been enjoying it. And as I mentioned to you before, I really like the uh, name of your of your account, the the February room. When I saw it, I really understood what it meant. Um, and actually, it's funny because I, you know, I uh, it kind of reminded me that I need to get back down into my own little work area and work on some fishing tackle and that sort of thing, which is I kind of that. part of the cultural experience. So, um, 
anyway. In this yeah. day and age, you do need a place where you can decompress. And especially as being a professor, you know, I'm sure there's a time where you're like, I need to step away from this crazy environment and get into a place where I can start thinking about other things and memories and future plans. Um, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, you know, for me, it, it was, um, you know, just the, uh, my immediate family, you know, my dad would always be working down in his little uh, room, called it the sports room. And, and, you know, we would make like a poor, like, uh, uh, jigs, like, um, like for vertical jigging for, you know, walleyes and, and that sort of thing and uh, tie around, you know, and so I learned to do that and uh, at a young age and that was always kind of the focus, you know, to kind of build up your your, your jig selection, you know, over the winter and so um, uh, for summer uh, fishing trips. So that's kind of where our story gets to, right? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, I have, since I've been a pretty small child. I've been vacationing up to Northwestern Ontario and um, we've been going to a few outpost cabins uh, there. And, uh, and so what an outpost cabin is, is basically you drive about as far north as you can drive and you find a seaplane base and um, you arrange for, a, you know, a taxi service, an air taxi service to fly you into a remote camp that's either owned by somebody or you get a camping permit and uh, you haul in all your stuff and uh, they drop you off and this was before satellite phones and that sort of thing and and they leave you and you stay there for a week and they come back and get you so uh, a week later so so i did that quite a few times you know with with my dad and um it was a you know of course a fantastically fun experience and um, you know, the, uh, we would bring in, like, I think we had like an inflatable boat, a rubber boat with like a, a small, uh, four and a half horse, um, outboard engine. And we would of course haul like gasoline with us. And, um, I remember hauling like a chainsaw and of course, like, you know, all the camping equipment and, uh, yeah, the plane would drop us off and we would, um, you know, kind of make a camp somewhere and, uh, blow up the boat and, and uh, start fishing. So we would do that. And then we would also go to other outpost camps where there were cabins and that sort of thing. And, and so kind of our, our story, um, the, uh, so I was at an, out, uh, an outpost cabin with uh, an uncle of mine for a week. And um, I knew my, my parents were going into a different lake and uh, they wanted to uh, try it. You know, we'd always talked about fishing there and that sort of thing. And, and they're going to be arriving at the other lake, uh, which was along the flight path of uh, the lake I currently was in. And uh, they're going to be arriving there in a, a few days after, um, after me. And so I made an arrangement with the airline to drop me off at this next camp. And um, I was 16, I think, at that time. And, um, and to me, since I had been going up there, it just wasn't really a big deal. You know, I was pretty familiar with it, you know, flying on a float plane and it was just kind of more normal. It's just kind of what you did over the summer. And, and so, and I hadn't ever been to this camp before. And so the, uh, you know, we took off from the lake we were on where, um, and of course it's very weather dependent and, um, and the, if the weather's uh, bad, you know, the airplane won't fly. And so in this particular day there was um, a few thunderstorms that were in the area and so the uh, pilot said hey you know we're gonna 
we're gonna like land and like stop, throw your stuff out and take off because we don't we're not gonna wait around because we don't want to get caught by a, by a thunderstorm, you know. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. And um, so they uh, they landed, pulled up to the dock, and literally it was like just started to rain while we had pulled up to the dock. And so I jumped out and and you know they threw out you know a sleeping bag and my duffel bag and a little bit of tackle and a small cooler and um, and just took off. And uh, and after they took off, um, no one had come down to the dock and and that's you know kind of customary up up north you know if someone comes up you know motors up to the dock or you know if a plane arrives you you go greet people and um kind of one of those experiences i'm like oh okay boy it seems really quiet around here and uh and then of course it started to rain even more and um and so i pulled my stuff together and i remember the one of the cabins uh, and i um that I went up to was locked and, um, and, but it had like, it was built kind of into the side of a hill so you could kind of get underneath it a little bit. And so I just crawled underneath it for just a little bit to stay dry. I could sit up underneath there and everything. And I'm like, huh, man, it doesn't seem like anybody's here. (laughs) And, uh, and so, so I started, you know, I was worried. I'm like, Hmm, well, what should I do? You know? And so I sat there for a little bit, just kind of waiting. And I thought, Oh, well, could they be, out in a boat like out on the lake somewhere or where could they be and um and what i knew was it was um a parent um uh, a couple who operated the camp and they had two small children and so the um and they lived there over the summer while they operated the camp and so uh, after a while i was like boy you know i just don't think anybody's here and um (laughs) At that point, were you starting to freak out? Yeah, I was. Well, I mean, I wasn't like freaking out, but I was like unsure what to do, you know? And and, like, I think the, because it like slowly dawned on me because like, well, I remember being in that little space, staying dry. And I noticed like little things, like there were no boats in the water, you know? And, (laughs) And like, you know, all, everything was closed and shuttered and i was like i think they are completely gone you know (laughs) so that that was kind of a definitely a little bit nerve-wracking and um so basically i started walking around uh, once it stopped raining and checking out the different cabins and and they ended up all of them were locked and and there was one cabin i remember where the um the window was slid open a little bit so if i absolutely had to i could cut the screen and crawl in <laughs> um you know but i I, w- I had a tremendous amount of respect for other people's property and so i didn't feel like I, i'm like sure enough i'll like cut the screen and they'll show up like two minutes later you know and guilt um, so yeah i i just kind of waited and um and then as the day kind of moved into the evening i um, had a little bit of food, and so I, you know, started a fire and and just kind of got comfortable. And then, luckily, the rain had stopped, and uh, at that point, and so I just tried to do, um, you know, basic basic camping just on the ground. Um, but you know, it was the it was the summer, and so it was warm. And of course, the sleeping bag I had was 
it was just too much for that weather it was too thick and and so i basically took off most of my clothing and climbed in the sleeping sleeping bag because the mosquitoes were so bad i mean they were just all over me oh. and um and i distinctly remember being in the sleeping bag hearing all the buzzing through the sleeping bag and it was really warm in there and i would open up the sleeping bag just a little bit to get like some fresh air and but mosquitoes would just pour in and it was miserable and so um <laughs> so i'm like oh my gosh well, what should i do and and um and so i had enough of that after a little while and so i you know got dressed again and just started walking around a little bit more and then i noticed an, an outhouse that was back from from the cabins a ways into the timber um i went back to the outhouse and it was unlocked which was great and um and i thought okay well if i climb in the outhouse you know i can eventually the mosquitoes will land on me and i'll be able to kill them all and hopefully <laughs> it's like bug proof you know and um <laughs> this was my 16 year old brain thinking and, and it was also a two-seater, so I could, you know, strip out across the bench, you know, and, and so, um, so I, I climbed in there, and um, and amazingly, the mosquitoes didn't come in. Um, I don't know if it was How smell. did it smell? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely odor, but you know, it wasn't <laughs> horrible, you know, and and um, and so the it it worked, and so I ended up staying there that night, and then. Um, and then the next day, I, you know, I went down and put a boat in the water. And um, I think I can't remember. They must have been pulled up on the shore because they and had motors and gas and everything. But I don't think there was any like in the water. But I was able to get a boat in the water, and um, and I just went fishing and um, caught some fish and uh, brought back and cooked them. So I <clears throat> kind of wow, you're a survivalist. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because the. Um, you know, growing up in or going up to these lakes, you know, you don't know where the where the underwater hazards are, you know, for yes. motoring and stuff. So I was really cautious, and because I knew I was alone, and I didn't know when you know the airline knew I was there, but that was it. And so I'm like, if I hit a rock or something or get stuck, I'll be in trouble, you know. So I um, I didn't go horribly far on the lake. I just went out and caught fish and. Um, brought them back and cooked, cooked them and that sort of thing. And yeah, and then um, I guess I don't know if it was that day or the next day. The um, the um, I don't know if it was the pilot or somebody from the airline was in the town where the airport was, <laughs> and the camp owners were there and they saw them in town and they're like, "Hey, you know, we dropped a kid off at your camp a couple of days ago." And, <laughs> And, you know, they were shocked. And <laughs> oh, I'd be mortified. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I mean, what they had told me later, um, and apparently they, you know, oh my gosh, they got their stuff together. They had their own float plane and they loaded up and flew in. And I remember, I think it was two days later. And so I remember sitting on the dock and uh, I was kind of washing up a little bit. I must have had some soap with me or something and they landed and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's somebody's here, you know, and, and, and I remember they pulled up to the dock and got out in the, and, um, um, 
one of the camp owners said, well, hello, how are you? You know, like, welcome. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I'm having fun. And, and, and I didn't know, like, it's like, should I be angry? Should I be, what should I be? You know, and, and, um, <laughs> you're like, you caught I, me off guard here. Yeah, I was, I was pretty, pretty thankful that, you know, they were there. And, you know, I also knew that my parents were coming in in a few days too. So I knew even if the camp owners didn't show up, I knew my parents were planning on meeting me in there. So I knew it was a pretty short. What did your parents day. say when they found out? Cause I mean, they probably didn't find out until after their trip, right? Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they found out when they drove up um, to the uh, airport cause they were flying into the same, not flying out of the same seaplane base as, you know, these, um, as this family and the other pilot were flying in and out of. And so they heard about it when they arrived. And, and so, and, you know, my dad later told me, he's like, Oh, you know, I guess maybe I didn't follow up with the camp owner. Like I should have. And, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> There's like part of me that'd be like so scared as a parent that that happened, but also like a lot of pride that you were able to figure out how to survive on your own. Um, I feel that I'd be like, yeah, I, I, I helped my child prepare for if the world cannot provide that they can survive on their own. So I think there'd be a little bit of um, pride in that as well. The fact that you were able to figure out how to, you know, use your environment and survive around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was, you know, my, of course, I think my dad was really proud, you know, of me. And, uh, you know, he said so, but I could see he was, he was smiling a lot about it. So I think he was pretty happy with, with the outcome, even though I, I, uh, you know, was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit nerve wracking for me in the process. But now it was, it was just the uncertainty. I mean, I knew someone was going to be in there in a few days. And I, you know, had experience up there. So I um, wasn't afraid. I just, um, just the uncertainty. And, you know, I knew I could break into a cabin if I needed to. And so, um, so I wasn't too nervous, but um, it was, I think I was most nervous probably when I was out fishing. I was like, you know, if the motor quits working or, you know, whatever. Yeah. um, I'll be stuck. But um, I can totally agree with you when it comes to mosquitoes. Jess and I did this big backpacking trip and um, we were, we were going to go to this lake, this mountain lake. And uh, we were about a mile, two miles away from finally reaching it. It was probably like a 13 mile hike up to the mountain, to this lake, this mountain lake. And we were about really only had like an hour of a hike left, but the mosquitoes were so bad. I mean, so bad. Like the way that you were talking about it, um, it's not, it wasn't like, oh, a few here and there, but your back would be just completely covered in mosquitoes. And I remember feeling ill, the mm-hmm. fact that there were so many mosquitoes and the buzzing and, and we just turned around and went back because it just started to get so, it was getting like really marshy up there, just where the, where the lake was. And, um, it was, uh, you could not do it. And I just realized that there's no way I could survive a world <laughs> if it was that bad with mosquitoes. It can drive you crazy. That's definitely how I felt in the, and, you know, in that moment. And so, yeah, the, the mosquitoes can, can really, um, you know, and I mean, I've, I haven't witnessed it, but I've heard of mosquitoes driving herds of caribou through the mar, you know, through the tundra. They're so bad. And, oh, and I can so, believe it. Yeah. 
So having good bug control and mosquito control is <laughs> important for enjoying. You're in the Midwest, so you know like what bad mosquitoes are. So if you're saying it was bad up there, we know it was really bad up there. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. Did your dad teach you um, about fishing then? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, the like I said, we had been going to you know a lot of these uh, similar lakes up there over the years, and um, and he really taught me well, like how to um, you know use a, a depth finder, and uh, this was kind of before the you know, the, um, access we have now, you know, to GPS and depth finding technology mm-hmm. and, and all that. And so he taught me a lot, how to use a depth finder, how to, how to find, you know, structure that goes into some deep water and, you know, even how to use, um, uh, a, a wired temperature probe to map the thermocline in a lake. So you kind of, kind of gives you an indication of where to start fishing in the summer, like what depth, you know? So, for walleyes because, you know, they're, um, you know, as the water warms, they go a little deeper. And, um, and, uh, so I learned a ton and, 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 uh, so it really, it really, what the fishing wasn't hard, you know? So, um, so that part was great. Um, and then in this particular lake, it was, um, really a pretty deep wet lake and a pretty clear lake. So the lake trout fishing was really good. And so we, fished a lot for lake trout. Um, and there's that. like beast, there's like beast lake trout up there. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. 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 There's some really, really good lake trout fishing. And, and that's really kind of what, um, you know, um, pushed me into fly fishing more is that the, you know, I enjoy catching lake trout uh, a ton because it's harder and, you know, you can go and catch like 50 walleyes in a night and that's not as challenging you know, but, um, lake trout are challenging. And so the, and so that's really, it's really what's pushed me into fly fishing more, um, uh, for trout is, is just that desire to have something a little bit more challenging. Is there some places that you go fishing in? Uh, is there like home waters near, um, Iowa that you're fishing? Um, I've never fished, obviously never made my destination to Iowa to go fly fishing. Sure. Yeah. So the, thanks for asking. There's, there's actually, you know, the Driftless region is is accessible, and um, so that includes, you know, southeast Minnesota, northeast Iowa, southwest Wisconsin, and um, I mean, just the number of streams is tremendous, you know. So, um, and if you go like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I mean, you know, there's nobody around, you know. I and love so, that. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's so serene and so beautiful in some places. And, you know, I have a, a friend of mine that I've, you know, connected with, um, lifelong friend over the last, you know, year or two, we've been doing more fishing together and kind of learning as we go. And, and um, you know, I'm taking my skills that I learned how to tie walleye flies, you know, or walleye jigs, and I'm making, you know, some trying, trying my hand at some trout flies, which is, which is fun. And um, so I've really enjoyed it a lot in, and there's so many streams, so you can go see a new place uh, pretty regularly. So, what's your favorite? Is it the lake trout is your favorite go-to fish, or is it the walleye on the fly? Oh, so on the fly, that's a great question. So, you know, the I've I've struggled to do really well up up north on the fly because you know I've mostly been going in the summer, so. So the fish are pretty deep um, in the summer, and so the but I have caught um, 
caught quite a few pike on the fly, which is really, yes. really nice. And, and, you know, they don't have to be that big to really challenge you, you know? And so the, um, in some of the waters we fish, there's some trophy pike. And so I have a plan. I haven't, um, who knows, maybe this spring it'll happen, but to go up in the spring, um, to a, a flying outpost camp, and, you know, they have these uh, creeks that run in the spring and that's when the walleye spawn and the, and the suckers, which is another type of fish, the suckers spawn and oh, these cool. big pike kind of crowd around these streams and they're shallow. And so I think it could be just fantastic um, trophy pike fishing on a fly. So that's so kind of obviously the, you didn't get um, you weren't scarred from ever having to do another outpost uh, fly fishing trip. <laughs> No, I mean, it, I mean, the, the great life lesson about going to outpost camps is that, you know, the further you get away from people, you know, the, usually the better the fishing is, you know, yes. and, so, and so it's just, you know, kind of the classic lesson. And so the, um, so in my opinion, it's completely worth it, you know, to go the extra expense to do that, um, just for the, the quality of the, of the experience. So, um, and, you know, you can, the, the, the air taxi service is expensive, but you know, you can get a permit, a remote camping permit for like $12, you know, it's just really inexpensive. And so, so you get a group of people together and you do your best and, you know, split the cost of the airplane, fly in the middle of nowhere, have them drop you off and come back and get you. So, man, I seriously, that seems like something I would absolutely love to do. I should probably do that with a couple of girlfriends. That sounds like a fun, fun adventure. Um, I know though, we also have another story, which is not as funny, but terrifying. So it's incredible that you're even here. So I know that your dad took you and your family on an adventure that did not go, that went sideways. Yeah, right. So this one, this was a adventure when, you know, it was my brother and I, when we were uh, really young, I think I was six years old. And again, this was another lake that, um, um, my dad had a, he had made friends with a gentleman up there who, uh, had an air service and also, um, had remote outpost camps. And, you know, this, um, my dad worked with this, um, my dad was a dentist, so he took a lot of, he would take time off and go fishing for a week. And I think he would go up to Canada five times a year, you know, like five weeks a year, which is just amazing that that is even possible. I couldn't imagine doing that. But uh, now, but um, he, but he did that and he would explore these other lakes. Like this guy would drop him off and he was a good fisherman. And so he would, he would, you know, explore a lake and say, Hey, is it worth having a little camp here or not? And uh, so he found a few gems up there and there was one gem that he took my brother and I to where we kind of did, you know, what I described, you fly in, blow up the boat and go fishing. And this was in the spring. So it was in, it was in May, early May in the and there was a lot of water flow, you know, so the, all the snow was melting. And, and so the streams that were coming into the lake were, um, were moving pretty good. And there was this one that was, there was a large elevation drop, you know, and it seems like it was really big. It probably isn't as big as I remember it because I was a little kid, but yeah, it was like a, at least probably a four or five foot waterfall, you know, and, and, uh, we, you know, we're fishing this bay. And of course, like I mentioned, you know, the, the big pike get in these bays and, and, you know, the walleyes are attracted to these areas of high flow. And, and, um, we got too close to the waterfall and got sucked in. And, um, you know, the boat, the boat was like, 
was like bouncing, you know, up and down, like on its side, you know, and I remember I was hanging onto the side and, and of the rope, the rail, little rope rail that went around the boat. And we were just like freaking out, you know, and, and I remember my dad, he had some rope somehow and he was able to like lasso like a, tr a, a rock on the shore, like a big boulder. Oh my gosh. And, and it seemed like it was a, quite a distance, but I, I don't actually know how far it was, but it seemed like it was a, a distance, you know, like, I don't know, 25 feet, maybe 30 feet, something like that. And, um, and I remember he had to take us to shore and, and I remember he took my older brother first, you know, and <laughs> so I, <laughs> tell me you're the favorite kid without telling me you're the favorite kid. Exactly. Yeah. And so he like gets out and he's like taking my brother. And I distinctly remember hanging on to the side of the boat. I was still in it, but it was just like bouncing and crazy and waters pouring all over you and seeing him go away oh, and gosh. just kind of like going, Oh my gosh, my life is over, you know? And, and, um, but he made it to shore and then he came back and got me and, and took me to shore. And I was just so soaking wet with, um, you know, frigid water. Um, and I, you know, had hyperthermia and I remember him laying me down on a rock and I remember laying my head on a rock and how soft the, I thought the rock felt soft. I mean, that's how out of it I was. And, and, um, um, and, you know, it was just a really kind of surreal, you know, experience, you know, going through that, uh, the, you know, and, uh, but he was able to get a fire started and, and, you know, we were alone, we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this plane dropped us off and we were there. So no one was coming to help us, you know? And so, um, and, and so after, I don't know how he got the boat out of the waterfall, but somehow he was able to get it out and we didn't lose the motor or anything. So and, uh, lucky. Yeah, so lucky. <laughs> it was uh, quite the quite the experience, and I remember going around the bay and picking up like items that had washed out of the boat that were still floating. You know, like a thermos. I, remember, I distinctly remember a thermos. Oh and, my um, gosh! What did your mom um, think when she found out about this? <laughs> I think she wasn't very happy with him, you know? Yeah, like, what are you doing fishing right by the waterfall? He's probably like, that's where, that's where the fish are. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember, I do have a memory of pulling, you know, I don't know if what dad was doing, but he was clearly pull, pulling closer to the waterfall. And it was close enough that I was, got a little scared and I was hopping back in the boat, like skipping seats, moving back towards him because the waterfall was getting closer and, and I thought I remember him chuckling about that. And then maybe that's when we got sucked in. But And it's crazy how fast things can change like that. It, I mean, mm -hmm. this story too, Justin and I were fishing and um, it was a really mellow stretch of water. And I was in the front of the boat with my son Sawyer. And then my youngest daughter, Odessa, was on the back of the boat and we like look forward and we just see that the water is just getting a little choppy and like almost, I mean, literally was a wave, like, I mean, up and down, up and down. And I, you know, I normally will grab the kids and tell them to come up front so we can all, you know, huddle together and I can hold on to the kids. So nothing happens. And I look behind me and Odessa is asleep, like on, on that little, <laughs> on the chair with the peanut butter and jelly. And I couldn't get her up and we were and the water just all of a sudden just moved so fast. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, my daughter's going to 
is going to just fall over on the side of the boat because the waves were, oh, it was one of those things we got done and I like nothing happened, but it just, things like that can happen so fast. And so luckily, I mean, everyone had their life jackets on, but I still think about that day, like how quickly things could have changed so fast because, you know, it's, it's still dangerous out there, even when you think it isn't, you know, when you see a beautiful waterfall or just a mellow water, like water can change. It sure can, you know, and, and, um, I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, people falling out of boats, like in the, when it's cold out and they can't get back in, you know, like clothing or whatever. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, you just become so comfortable moving around and, and, you know, like fishing in these remote areas and, you know, when the fishing's good, but maybe the weather's not so good and, and it could, you know, um, threaten your health. So. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, a, a, a concern. And, and so I think about that now and thinking, oh my gosh, I was 16 and they like threw me out of a plane and I stayed there for days. <laughs> well, and, Matt, I think you should, yeah. you should try out for survivor. You can yeah, like write down maybe. all these things. Like what <laughs> makes you a good candidate? You can already say I've slept in an outhouse. I survived a waterfall hypothermia. Um, <laughs> you're ready for it. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'll, I would give it a try. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, if people are wanting to follow you, cause I know we both are TikTok influencers. I mean, people, <laughs> people are going to, they're talking about us. They're making, they're making some stitches. I don't even know if I'm saying the right stuff, terminology <laughs> with TikTok, but what's the best way for people to kind of follow on your journey on these new um, expeditions that are coming up? Sure. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty inexperienced at TikTok, um, but I, I do have an account. So, um, yeah, the, the fly fishing professor, fly fishing prof, I think is my handle. Awesome. And, and uh, yeah, and it's linked to my Instagram account. I have a little bit more, uh, I have a little bit more uh, info on my Instagram account with some pictures of some trips that, you know, I, I took and of course family stuff. So, you know, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm going to stick to my day job, you know, um, <laughs> but, but I always like to think about fishing and I, um, especially this time of year and I need to get my own February room set up and, uh, work on some tackle. So, Hey, once you get that set up, you should send me a picture and I'll love to share it with, um, with all the, with all those crazy followers that, uh, yeah that we have to new waters I'm exploring with TikTok, but, um, (laughs) I can't thank you enough so much for joining me today, Matt. Go to the February room.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the February room.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.